Hello, everybody, and welcome to From the Mezzanine. I'm your host, Lindsay Stone, and let's get into this week's episode. What is up, you guys? I have some very exciting personal news that uh, I hope that you care about, but I got engaged ah! between today and last episode. My boyfriend, now fiance, proposed to me, and I might post this on my um, Instagram and TikTok, so check it out. I'll post at least the ring so y'all can see, but shout out Reed who has been with me since the beginning of this podcast and has been my editor and has helped me so much through everything. And, uh, you know, some weeks it has been hard to get an episode out. We both work full-time jobs aside from the podcast and he has really been so incredible. It's almost time for that Christmas bonus, Reed. Last year I gave him a $15 Starbucks gift card as a thank you. That was his Christmas bonus for editing my podcast every single week, but he is such a huge part of FTM and the reason that this can even be possible because if I had to listen to my own voice and edit it every single week, I don't think that I could maintain this, but shout out to you. I love you so much. I'm so glad that I'm your fiance now and yay. So yeah, that's a crazy, crazy thing that I'm excited to share with you guys. Just a little personal life update that's been going on and he, I'll just tell you a little bit about how he did it. So he went on because, you know, because I just have to, it was such a perfect story and, and he he really did amazing. It was the best proposal I could have ever pictured. So we had a dinner cruise. It was our five-year anniversary. We've been together for five years and dating for five years. And uh, and so we booked a dinner cruise and it went up on the Hudson and the East River. Super romantic it was that night. We could see the New York City skyline and everything. And he proposed on the cruise. So yes, it was very, very sweet. And I'm going to be a wife now. I'm so excited. Uh, it was funny. My sister was like, what's your Instagram caption going to be? Because it has to be like a Broadway quote. And I was like, mm, I don't know. There are a lot of good ones out there. After all, all good Broadway musicals have some form of a wedding in them. So yeah, I'm super excited and really happy. So just wanted to share that with you guys. Other than that, I'm seeing Gutenberg tonight for the fourth time, which I'm stoked for. We have a friend in town and uh, it's we were trying to figure out what would be the perfect thing to take him to. He only wants to see one show, which, you know, we had to come to terms with. It was difficult because everybody who comes and visits, we see a show every single night. It was like, what if I want to see one? And we were like, okay, that's valid. No, that's valid. It's valid. And so we had to pick one show and we are like, it's got to be Gutenberg because that's our favorite show right now. Um which is not going to be on for forever, but honestly, it is like, I wish I could see it every single weekend. It is my favorite show on Broadway right now. I love it, love it, love it. So I'm seeing Gutenberg tonight for the fourth time. I already know who the producer is because they post a, quote, teaser. It's not really a teaser when they're so obvious of who it is. It's going to be Alex Brightman. And so that'll be cool. I've seen Alex before. I haven't seen him on a stage or anything or in Beetlejuice, uh, aside from like videos here and there. But I have seen him at events and stuff. Uh, but that'll be fun. It'll be cool to see Alex. Brightman take the stage and be the producer over at Gutenberg. So so excited to see it again. We did rush for it this morning. I got out there at 8:30 and the line was not bad. I believe there were probably 10 people in front of me. Some people looked like they had been staking out for like hours. Like they had chairs, they had coffee, they were really really committed to the bit. But I got there at 8.30 and we were able to get seats. I'm not sitting with them. I'm sitting like a row behind, which is totally fine. Um, that's to be expected when you have a party of three, you know, it's just kind of an awkward number. But we were, we were fortunate to even get the tickets. I was really happy. But 
I haven't had any issue rushing Gutenberg. We always get there about two hours or an hour and a half before, and we've never had a problem getting good seats. Uh, we're on the like third and fourth rows. We're all the way to the far right, so we will probably miss a couple of things, but I, I will always take being close up to the stage over being far back and like maybe a little bit more centered. I wanted to be in the box again because that was the best viewing experience I've had at Gutenberg at the James Earl Jones Theater, but unfortunately, we're not, but I'm not complaining about being in the third row. Okay, so guys, I'm so excited to get into Broadway grosses this week because this is the week that's going to account for Thanksgiving week, which is a humongous week for Broadway. It really kind of gives everybody a sign of if people are going to come to see your show for a long period of time because it is a holiday rush. All of these people, all these tourists more so are coming to the city. And um, and so if they go and see a Broadway show, it's interesting to see which ones they're going to select. And it kind of is a sign that, okay, your show is going to be successful for a long time. And the ones that aren't as popular for that high grossing week, um, are probably not going to last too long. So it's a huge, huge week and it, it's a very telling week. So let's head on into our Broadway grosses. I'm gonna have to take my engagement ring off because I can. I think y'all are gonna hear it clicking. I usually don't wear jewelry on the podcast. So I took it off, okay. I'm sad. I, I just like, I'm obsessed with it. Okay, anyways, so Broadway grosses. Like I said, this is for the week ending on November 26th. So right after Thanksgiving. Let's get into it. So at the top is The Lion King. Two is Wicked. Three is Hamilton. And four is Merrily We Roll Along. Okay, that is interesting because last week, Merrily We Roll Along was second right behind Lion King. Lion King is always going to be first. Always. Um, And then... Sweeney Todd is sixth. So that goes to show that Lion King, Wicked, and Hamilton have the stamina they need to carry on for probably a couple more decades. We knew this. This is not a surprise. But I do find it interesting that since it was such a big touristy week that the big staple shows on Broadway right now, being your Marilys and your Sweeney Todds, that those are bumped out. And instead, it would be nice to see Sweeney bump up, you know, because it is a recognizable show. I would think tourists would like it. And while it has bumped up some, it's doing better than it was last week. Uh, this is kind of a, a sign that it it's going to leave. And we already knew that. They were planning on leaving in spring 2024 anyway, so it's not a big surprise. But yeah, Hamilton being in the top three, Hamilton's going to like be our next Phantom of the Opera, which I love. I'm, I'm certainly happy about that. I also do want to note that five new Broadway shows were introduced to the Two Million Club, meaning that they grossed over $2 million in one week, which is crazy numbers. Typically, like Lion King grosses, like I'd say eight, 1.8 each week. And so this week we have quite a lot that are now in the two millions and uh the ones that are all in the two millions are Sweeney Todd so congrats Sweeney Todd that's huge Marilee Hamilton Wicked and Lion King and then just below that is MJ at number seven and I mean they're practically in the two million club they are a hair below um and then we have Aladdin and then we have Back to the Future which isn't really a huge surprise since Back to the Future is so recognizable I would certainly think that tourists are going to want to go and see it also, it was in the Thanksgiving Day Parade, so people might have seen it at the Thanksgiving Parade and then been like, okay, let's go see that tonight. You know what I mean? And then we have Harry Potter, and then we have Anne Juliet, and then we have Moulin Rouge. Wow. Okay, so I think that's our top 10. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. So yeah, so Anne Juliet closes out our top 10 rank. So Moulin Rouge is actually bumped out of the top 10, and they're at 11. I hate that for Moulin Rouge. I wish that they were further up. They should be. They should be more of a touristy show. 
But they didn't perform in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and Anne Juliet did, so that could have something to do with it. Um, these two are really going to be battling it out. And that's why I was so reluctant to go and see Anne Juliet. Of course, I want to support it, but I also have such a place in my heart for Moulin Rouge, and I knew Anne Juliet is going to be their biggest competitor. And to me, in my personal opinion, Moulin Rouge is far better than Anne Juliet, but I know that's not everybody's taste. And to be honest, like, I really feel like only one jukebox musical can come out on top. And while I hope that it is Moulin Rouge, it might not be. It might not be considering the fact that Angeliette has beat Moulin Rouge this week and Moulin Rouge has actually bumped out of the top 10. That's pretty telling. They're still in a good place. Don't get me wrong. They're not going to announce a random closing anytime soon. At this point, they're a, a regular show running show on Broadway. And I'm certain that they have a lot of years ahead of them. But, you know, maybe not as much as Anne Juliet with the way that this chart is looking. So I feel like it's also a good time to kind of address what is at the bottom. I do want to shout out Here Lies Love. This is the week that they closed. And so for it being their closing week, I think they probably grossed the most they ever have. They grossed just under $1 million, which isn't great, but it's good for them because they were not doing well. Um, but anyways, let's work our way down from Moulin Rouge. So Moulin Rouge was 11. Right below that is 6. Makes sense. Below that is Spamalot. So Spamalot is just doing so-so. I love Spamalot. I think it's freaking hilarious. Um, I would hope that it will move further up, but since this week it's bumped down, I don't think that it will. I think that tells us that Spamalot is probably going to have your average Broadway run. It's also interesting to note that they only had a 90% capacity, whereas all of the ones before it have at least a 98% capacity. So not looking great for Spamalot. Not terrifying, scary territory. It's not going to close and be a flop, knock on wood. I hope not. But it is telling that it's as low as it is. Below Spamalot, we have Book of Mormon. Below that, we have Gutenberg. Not a big shock. It's in a small theater. I'm also just telling myself that because I absolutely adore Gutenberg. But I think Gutenberg's doing as expected. And then below Gutenberg, we have Here Lies Love. Below Here Lies Love, we have Hadestown. Yeesh! And then Sun Like It Hot. And then Shucked. And then Chicago, and then A Beautiful Noise, and then Kimberly Akimbo, and then Harmony. Harmony has a 57% capacity, guys. We're going to go all the way to the bottom, because at the very bottom is How to Dance in Ohio. It is still in previews. I want to make note of that. It has not had its opening night yet. It is still in previews, but guys, it had a 72% capacity. That means a ton of empty seats in that theater. And... It only had six performances. Most Broadway shows have eight performances in a week. It only had six, so that should be taken into account too, but they only grossed $254,000. So please, literally saying a prayer, please let How to Dance in Ohio do better in the future because I do not want to see it leave Broadway so soon. That would be, that would be tragic. That would be so sad. I feel like the Broadway people are like diehard obsessed with How to Dance in Ohio because it's such an incredible show and the concept of the show stands for so much. Um, but I think tourists, maybe people, I mean, it's an original musical. Nobody's heard of How to Dance in Ohio. Yeah, it's a documentary, but it was like a small sort of indie low budget type of documentary that was on HBO. Um, so eek. Harmony and How to Dance in Ohio are certainly in some hot water, which I hate, absolutely hate to say. I need to see Harmony for sure. But that closes out our Broadway grosses. 
this for the week of Thanksgiving. Super exciting. Also pretty interesting and I want to note before we move on is that this Broadway grosses saw an increase in sales of 30%. So that just goes to show how many more people were seeing Broadway shows last week. Okie doke, let's head on into our Broadway news for the week. I am excited to bring you a piece of Moulin Rouge news. We love to see it, and especially this kind of Moulin Rouge news. So Boz Lerman has announced that he has seriously considered turning Moulin Rouge the musical into a movie musical. Round of applause. Let's go. I'm ready for this. I'm ready for the remake. Uh, the The... 21st century remake was the last one in the 21st century I don't know um but the new and improved in my opinion remake of Moulin Rouge the musical and I am praying that this happens I would love it I wonder who they would cast I feel like they would have to go Hollywood I don't think it would be an Aaron Tveit moment although come on but I think they're gonna go in a Hollywood direction since Moulin Rouge the original movie was so Hollywood think they'd have to do something similar. But anyways, let's hear what Boslerman said. Uh, and I will put the video down in my show notes below because he's sounding pretty confident that this is quite a possibility to happen. So he says, quote, the thought has crossed my mind. I think we'll see that. The preposterous conceit about Moulin Rouge is that the poet opens his mouth and contemporary music that we love comes out of it. So I can see in 20 years you recalibrating it again with new music again. I can absolutely see it being a filmed version of this version. So he's saying he kind of sees it continuing to evolve as it lives on, rewritten, adding new songs, updating the music to be more relevant to that time, um, which is interesting. I don't know how I feel about that. I think it's a good concept. I want Moulin Rouge to live on for forever. And I think I think this is a, a cool idea. I think it would be cool to have like an ever evolving show on Broadway where like maybe they don't change all the songs at once, but maybe they take out like, even though it's so great, like the raise your glass and replace it with something like more present to right now. I could see that happening. Um, I think that would be really cool. Plus, it would keep people coming into the doors to come and see it if it's changed some. It's inevitable that as it changes, people are either going to like it more or dislike it more. So you do run that risk of like adding a new song. I mean, how could you ever take out Roxanne? Can you imagine if they replaced old Roxanne with like new Roxanne? <laughs> that song that was popular like two years ago, Roxanne, Roxanne. Okay, that's not the direction they're going to go in, obviously. They're going to put more thought into it than that. But I'm, I'm just saying... If you take out some of these critical songs and replace them with something else, people who loved Moulin Rouge, like me, may grow to dislike it. So that's a risk you have, but it's a risk that I think I'm willing to take. I think this is a fun concept of an ever-evolving show on Broadway. Um, so Boz Lerman, who, in case you didn't know, Boz Lerman, he created the original movie and uh, he had a big hand in the musical as well. So he goes on to say, quote, I think because of that conceit, when musicals work, they go on forever. He continues to say, quote, they're so hard to make, but as we're speaking, somewhere in the world, there's a production of Sound of Music. As we're speaking in many places of the world, there's a production of Moulin Rouge, quote. Moulin Rouge is playing in Australia. It's playing in South Korea. It's playing on the West End. And then the national tour in the U.S. is still going on. So this is, has proven to be a, a wild success. And... So when you have a wild success on Broadway, the natural movement is to turn it into a movie. And while that may quite literally take a decade to do, we've seen it happen before. Uh, it's 
I think it's completely plausible that this would happen. I completely, completely think that this is possible. And plus, I feel like movie musicals are really in their era right now. And I think that they're doing really well. And it's becoming a little more normalized to do this. And plus, remakes are really popular right now. So to, this is sort of the best of both worlds. You know, it's a, bringing a musical into the movie format. And then it's also a remake. So there's a lot of success behind this, and I could certainly see it happening. So very exciting. I love this for the Moulin Rouge family. And while I hope that it's going to be Aaron Tveit and I can just keep holding on to his Christian forever, I have a feeling they're going to recast it. And I really hope in the future of FTM we get to talk about this more because I don't want this to be the end of this concept. I hope, I hope we keep hearing some developments on this. Hey guys, this is Future Lindsay. I wanted to just make it known because since recording this, I have realized that the pronunciation of this play is actually appropriate, not appropriate. And I feel like that is a difference that definitely needs to be made known. So if I refer to it again as appropriate in the podcast, just know it is actually appropriate. Appropriate. Yes, that is the name of the play. Okay, thanks. Bye. Moving on to our next story, Appropriate, which is playing in the Off-Broadway Theater uh, second stage, has officially opened. So I don't know. I haven't seen like a whole lot about this show. I only know about it because I've walked past the theater a number of times. Other than that, I haven't seen much. So if you didn't know about this show, like I, I certainly did not, it stars just complete Hollywood royalty and fame. Sarah Paulson, who you likely know from the American Horror Story franchise, she's a huge Hollywood actress. She's incredibly talented. She is starring in this play. And also in this show is Elle Fanning, who I'm sure a lot of you probably know from The Great, which is a TV show. She also was in Maleficent. She's a huge Hollywood person. And now this duo, iconic duo, is now in a new Broadway, off-Broadway, a new off-Broadway play called Appropriate. And let's read about the synopsis because this is the first time I'm really hearing about this show in depth. So here's what it is about. Quote, it's summer, the cicadas are singing, and the Lafayette family has returned to their late patriarch's Arkansas home to deal with the remains of his estate. Tony, the eldest daughter, hopes they'll spend the weekend remembering and reconnecting over their beloved father. Bo, her brother, wants to recoup some of the funds he spent caring for dad at the end of his life. But things take a turn when their estranged brother, Franz, appears late one night, and mysterious objects are discovered among the clutter. Suddenly, long-hidden secrets and buried resentments can't be contained, and the family is forced to face the ghosts of their past. Woo! So they call this a dark, comedic family drama. Um, I am really interested in seeing the show. One, I'm a pretty big fan of Sarah Paulson. I think she's probably one of the greatest actresses of our generation. And I've seen a lot that Elle Fanning has done. So that alone makes me want to get in the door, um, which is good for the play. It's good for plays on Broadway to have those big stars because oftentimes if they don't have them, they tend not to be super successful. So I'm glad that they have some star power behind the show. Um, but aside from that, I think the story is very intriguing. It does sound very similar to Uncle Vanya that we were recently talking about that's about to come to the Lincoln Center that Steve Carell is going to be in. I'm seeing some similarities in the story here about dark family drama. Somebody shows up and kind of rocks the world. 
pretty similar. Um, so yeah, this had its first preview just this past week on November 29th, and their opening night is set for December 19th. And they don't have a cutoff. It's not a limited run. Um, and so we'll keep an eye on this, see how its success is doing. And I can only imagine that this has to do with possibly a plantation or owning slaves in the family, something along those lines, which certainly would make this a quite heavy play. Um, but I'm very interested in it. And I will report back once I have seen it, my thoughts and yeah, so congratulations to the crew and cast of Appropriate for opening, and we look forward to opening night when we can see those reviews. I've got a feeling this is going to be a good one, just because of the cast that's backing it. Our last news story for this week has to do with the Tony Awards. Literally my favorite subject ever. So there's not much here, but we'll take the morsels of news about the Tonys that we can. So the Tony Awards committee met this past week to discuss a handful of shows and how they would be eligible, which is something that we were kind of talking about the other day. I think it was last episode when I was saying, oh, I hope Liam Pierce at How to Dance in Ohio gets best actor, but will he be featured actor? It's kind of when they kind of decide, okay, so-and-so is going to be put up for featured actor, and then this person will be like the leading actor. So we we learn a little bit about what the categories are going to be, but all this is, it doesn't mean they're nominated. It means that they're eligible. So the Tonys met to figure out the eligibility of some shows and of some actors. So let's let's run through it because I think it's good to prepare ourselves. So they were meeting to discuss these shows. Grey House, Once Upon a One More Time, Here Lies Love, The Cottage, Back to the Future, The Shark is Broken, Pearly Victorious, Jaws African Hair Braiding, Merrily We Roll Along, and Gutenberg the Musical. They haven't reported back to us about all of these, but we do have some of the reports of who is going to be eligible for what. So to kick it off, Briga Helen and Justin Garini, who both were like Cinderella and Prince Charming in Once Upon a One More Time, they are both going to be eligible for actress or actor in a leading role in a musical. Doesn't mean they're nominated, just means they're eligible for it. Um, and the scenic designers for that show are also eligible for a Tony. Ariel Jacobs, who was the leading lady of Here Lies Love, is going to be eligible for best performance by an actress in a leading role. Eric McCormick and Laura Bell Bundy, who were in The Cottage, are also eligible for best performance by an actor or actress in a leading role in a play. Somewhat big news here. Casey Likes is eligible for best performance by an actor in a leading role for Back to the Future, the musical. And I think best performance by an actor in a leading role is going to be one of the stiffest competitions in the Tonys this year. I think it's going to be tough. We also learned that the scenic designers for Back to the Future are eligible. And another big piece of news that came out from this announcement is that Daniel Radcliffe and Lindsay Mendez are considered eligible for best performance by an actor or actress in a featured role. So they are not going to be looped into that leading actor uh, pit. They're not going to be subject to that very difficult field. I'm sure featured actor is going to be tricky too. We've got a lot of good actors on Broadway right now. However, I was really wondering if Daniel Radcliffe was also going to be uh, up for best actor and they'd kind of be pitting um, Jonathan Groff and Daniel Radcliffe against each other, but they won't. I can only assume that Jonathan Groff is now going to be in the leading actor category now that Daniel Radcliffe has been announced to be in the featured role category. So 
This is interesting to learn. I probably will not report on this every single time we get some news, but this is the first batch of eligibilities that we have been provided. And I think it's interesting to know. And you can kind of put this in your pocket whenever the nominations actually come out and we find out, oh, Casey Likes wasn't nominated for it or that I'm not saying that he won't be. I'm just using that as an example, of course. But you will find out, okay, so he was eligible and he wasn't nominated. So it kind of gives some perception of their performance. And I only use Casey Likes because I'm pretty much 99% confident he, of course, will be nominated for a leading actor uh, because he's pretty freaking awesome. I haven't even seen him in Back to the Future. I have seen him perform at various events and he lights up that stage. He's really incredible. So anyways, always fun to hear a little bit more news about the Tonys and I just am waiting with anticipation to actually hear the nominations and then go to the Tonys, potentially, I hope. Um, <laughs> time will tell. That wraps up our Broadway news. Well, I got to get to Gutenberg the musical. They are waiting for me, and I'm so excited to go see it tonight for my fourth time and say hello to Alex Brightman. It's going to be a great night. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of From the Mezzanine. If you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and leave me a five-star review wherever you are listening, as well as tell your musical theater-loving friends about From the Mezzanine. I'm sure they're going to enjoy it just as much as you do. You can follow me on all of my social links. I have the link to my TikTok and my Instagram down in the show links below, or you can find me by simply typing in From the Mezzanine. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you next Tuesday. Bye! <laughs>